The following audio is via a Skype call. I care desperately about what I do. Do I know what product I'm selling? No. Do I know what I'm doing today? No. But I'm here and I'm going to give it my best shot. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Pardon my Elmer Fudd voice. I'm looking for the Waskaway Wabbit on the way to you. Very happy to have you with us. I am Gary Mance, joined by... Suzanne Mitchell. And we are three when we include the master of the board. We're talking about bad boy Benny Mathers at the aforementioned board and always there for us every Friday, it seems, bringing the sound. How are you today, sir? Oh, man, we're good to ask. We have it. Yeah, all you need to say is, what's up, Doc? And then we are complete. That's for sure. Watching the news today, it's been fascinating. I just wanted to drop this in really quickly. In the streets of London, boy, if you want, if you want to get people out in the streets in London, right? just have Donald Trump show up. <laughs> Amazing demonstration going on. And I am seeing so many signs that I cannot even quote on the radio. Oh, no. Wow. That British propriety seems to have taken a day off. But there was this one sign in this sea of placards. There was one that said, Yankee, go home. And I thought, <laughs> it's great. It's great to see the oldies coming back, yeah, you right. know? A little bread. Oldie but a goodie. Yeah, Yankee, go, go home. Go. Oldie but a goodie. That's very <laughs> true. Well, you know, with England, you know, they made it to the, uh, they're in the soccer world of soccer. They are, they're still in the news, too. Um, but on this, you know, with President Trump over there, boy, they are really letting them have it. Yes, they are certainly not shy in expressing themselves. Really uh, incredible stuff going on in the world. But then there is the world of one, the world of us and our interaction with the world. And Suzanne was just noting, just before we signed on to Skype to get going on the show, I thought you said something quite pertinent, Suzanne, and that is that we are moving toward transformational topics and finding that people are very responsive to this. It turns out they want to know how to make their lives work more than they want to know if Bigfoot really exists. Yeah, I think so. We, we've done a wide variety of topics over the years, and there's been kind of an ebb and a flow to our format. So without really discussing it, it's just kind of flowing in a particular way right now that our guest today really fits into. We've had some wonderful transformational type guests on of late, and I think our guest today is going to be one such of those people because we read her first book. This lady and I raised the bar, and uh, that's a good thing. Gina Ch Charles writes about spiritual awakening and authentic living with wit and practicality. She is the author and illustrator of Shift Happens, a layperson's guide to awakening and founder of the newworldapparel.com. For more, you can go to her website, which we will mention off and on throughout the balance of this hour. And during our so-called marketing piece, you will find out more and more about how you can get in touch with our guest today, Gina Charles. I should also mention she has a new book out. This is almost like in this hour, I decided strategically that we would mention this book in passing, kind of like running the movie trailer before you get to see the movie, because I would not be at all surprised if there is a visit number two from Gina Charles. She's a fine writer, very witty indeed, and brings a lot of 
ethereal and abstruse concepts down to the practicalities of daily living where I feel they have a natural home. Her other book, her latest book, quite new, is called Fuel Your Life, A Four-Point Practice to Spiritual Awakening. And so we welcome for the first time Gina Charles. Delighted to have you with us, my dear. Hi, guys. Suzanne, Gary, Benny. I'm very excited to be here today. Now, when I hear you say Gary, I'm I'm thinking that you're probably from east of the Mississippi. <laughs> yes, you guessed it. I'm I'm not going to be able to hide that New York accent. <laughs> well, that's all to the good. We would love. It, it's to okay, Gina. I have a Chicago accent, Ruff, so Ruff, I'll Ruff. just flatten my A's. You do the New York, and the big cities will be represented here today. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. It's all good. Uh, yep, that's right. Gina, as a first-time guest, I'd like to do for you what we've done for others, and that is to give you the autobiographical few moments to encapsulate your life for our listeners. They want to know who is it we have on today, how did you get to where you are today, because we all have a story. Sure, sure, that's understandable. Um, Well, you know, uh, I am from New York, and uh, I'm originally from Brooklyn. I was raised on Long Island. I came from, um, you know, a middle-class family back when um, there was such a thing. (laughs) And um, I have a Catholic background. I did make all my sacraments in the church. And uh, somewhere along the line at a young age, I just felt like there was something greater, something greater behind the curtain. Uh, And I did feel that it is a ubiquitous life purpose that somewhere in our lives, aside from our own life purposes, that is one of a life purpose that we share is to find out what that is behind the curtain. Who are we really? What is this place, and what are we doing here? So, of course, I didn't know the answer to those questions or where to look. Um, but I did have lucid dreaming as a child. I do think that is what inspired me to be interested in spirituality. Uh, and then in my twenties, I started to read books, which way back then. Uh, there wasn't nearly as much to choose from as there is today. Um, And so my spiritual practice was always in my personal life. Um, In my professional life, I was lucky enough to know what I wanted to do at a very young age. I wanted to be an apparel designer. Uh, So I became an apparel designer, and I loved it. I loved it. And then (laughs) midstream, things started to change, and I did not see that coming, like, This was such a shock and surprise to me. And all of a sudden, I noticed that the industry around me was changing. The contractors, the mills, the trim people, they were all going out of business. There was turbulence in in the industry, and things weren't going well. Um, I worked for a few people that went out of business. And I was wondering, what's going on here? This was always the blissful, sweet spot of my life. So eventually, I had moved out of state, and I moved back to New York, And I realized that uh, things were very different for me with my career. And it wasn't until one day I was coming home on the train from an interview that I kind of caught the glimpse of my face in the window. And luckily it was was off-peak hours and there weren't that many people on the train. And I'm I'm crying in my seat, you know, hopefully no one would see me. Because I realized that Years before that, I would show up to an interview for an apparel designing job with bells on. I couldn't wait to get there. Like, here's my portfolio. Here I am. (laughs) But now it was, I went twisted. 
I was in a knot, and I realized this is not the same experience that I had before. And it actually took me like two years to honor my truth. And the real truth was it had nothing to do with anything ex external. It was that I didn't have the passion or the inspiration to do it anymore. And I felt my thinking mind had the story that it was such a huge loss for me that it actually felt like, in retrospect, two years of grieving because I loved what I did so much. Now I have the clarity to understand that it is never about the what. It is always about the how. So now I understand that, in reality, I really don't know what tomorrow holds. But whatever it does hold, if I'm able to approach it with that same bliss and passion that I had for apparel designing, I'm all in. You know, so that was a huge turning point in my life. I think a lot of people are going through that as well nowadays, where that for whatever reason, whether it's the company goes out of business or they're downsizing or, or the economy or just a change of heart, just waking up and saying, I hate this, you know. Um, and here we are midstream, and, uh, and it's hard to bridge that gap to find another place that really works for us. Um, and that's how I ended up doing the stuff that I'm doing now. I never saw any of this coming, and it was a daily baby step toward surrender. So when I learned how to baby step my way toward surrender, that's when my spiritual life came to the forefront. I started to write. I started to use my illustrations to support my message. Um, when I had uh, clarity, I, would, I have blogs I share it with. So this became the forefront of my life only because I just moved aside and allowed. And I love it. I mean, uh, I, I do have to say for people that feel like they've lost something in their lives that brought them bliss, it's not outside you. It's inside you. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And here I am today um, and discussing things that I think that other people having a human experience would find very, very handy to step out of your own pain and suffering and to to take your limitations away, even to just go from surviving to thriving. Um, so it doesn't matter that I didn't see it coming. What matters is that I learned how to surrender to it. And if one person can benefit by it, you know, here I am. Well, Gina, you just gave us so much great information to talk about, and it all connects with your book, Shift Happens, A Layperson's Guide to Awakening. And a lot of that comes out in your uh, autobiography. So thank you for sharing that. I, I think that you gave us a nice idea of you know what it is that you're about and where you're coming from. You're talking to the ideal audience because our listenership is very much uh, spiritual and uh, on a spiritual path and all, all about the mind-body-spirit connection. So, you know, you are going to be preaching to the choir today, as it were, in, in, in making notes about a lot of the things that you said. The first place I would like to go with you is the uh, idea that you were lucid dreaming as a child. I am having lucid dreams now, and so I'm just curious to ask you, what was going on in your lucid dreaming when you were very young? Uh, I'll share with you that I very rarely speak about it, and it's only because of old programming that 
that makes me hesitant to share it. But like you said, I'm preaching to the choir, which is wonderful. So I do remember as a child, I, I'm going to guesstimate that I was probably somewhere around 9 or 10 years old. The first lucid dream that I remember wasn't just a lucid dream. I did also experience sort of an epiphany in, in this lucid dream, as if lucidity wasn't enough, you know. And as a child, I think we're open to things. We have less erroneous programming, so we're more limitless and more accepting of things. When I, when I gained lucidity in the dream, which I probably should start out by just saying that <laughs> until I was in my 20s, I never even heard that terminology. So I experienced these things and thought something's not right here. I didn't have the vocabulary to speak about it. I didn't think it would be well accepted. I never spoke about it. It was like a sealed door, and it was because fear-based thinking said, what if you get stuck in there and you can't get out? So as a child, I wasn't afraid of the lucidity in the dream. I wasn't afraid of the epiphanies I had. I wasn't afraid of any of it. I was afraid that I would go in there knowing that no one knew where I was and how would I get out. And that's why I really never spoke of it. That's the number one reason. I didn't want to invite it. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s that, because I've always had very vivid dreams and telling dreams and, and subsequent lucid dreams. So any topic about dreaming I was interested in, and, and I remember reading the word lucid dreaming, and the meaning was to gain consciousness in the dream. Gain consciousness to be awake as awake as we are as in this very present moment. That's hard for people that haven't experienced that to understand. That was my experience. It's not a vivid dream, so vivid. It's not even that. It is to gain consciousness. So here's a good description. In a regular dream, the dream happens to us. In a lucid dream, you happen to the dream. And only in that kind of a dream, in that state, can you actually make things happen in the dream. In a regular dream, that's just not possible. So that's one of the very telling things that I, I experienced in, in lucid dreaming. So this particular dream, I was a kid. I was went out in the front of the house, and you look for your friends to see if your friends are out. And one thing led to the other, and I realized that I don't hear any birds. I don't feel it. And there's a feeling that something is awry. Something is different. And I have learned that this is the prelude to lucidity rising. Um, and there, I said, oh, I'm in a dream. And as a kid, I thought, okay, cool, I'm, I'm awake in a dream, right? Didn't freak me out, didn't, you know, uh, and I was okay with it. And I even remember saying, what do we do here? Which really is the ultimate question, you know, what do you do with your, with your lucidity? Well, you, you create, you change the world. At the time, I didn't get that. But in the dream, all of a sudden, a knowing came in one shot. So I know I'm familiar with thinking and reasoning. It is not that. When higher intelligence speaks in my experience, it's downloaded in one solid download. So for me to explain it to someone else, I would have to speak in sentences and paragraphs the way that I am now. But there, it comes one instantaneous download. Um, and so the download was, Basically, suffering is optional. And I understood why in the dream. It's optional. My knee-jerk reaction was to go to the neighbor's house and knock on the door and say, 
Guess what? All your worries, all the things you worry and cry about, you can put that down. That's optional. You don't have to do that here. Um, and I know it's just words, and it sounds cliche in a way, and it's like, yeah, that's nice. But when you go beyond the words to the knowing that that's what this place is, that suffering really is optional, it's a whole different. That's why I always say you have to eat and digest the words the way you would eat and digest food. You go beyond the words into a visceral knowing, and that's realization, and that's truth rising independently from within. So I had that realization that that, that suffering is optional. Um, and again, afterward, what, once I realized, hey, wait a minute, this is cool and everything, but what happens if I get stuck in a dream like this? And in that moment, fear rose from my feet all the way up. Like It was like a panic attack. I mean, it was severe fear. Um, and of course, I woke up out of the dream, and I never spoke of it again because of that. That wasn't until years later that now I have vocabulary to speak about it. I understand what it is, and I also understand that the way that we gain lucidity in a dream, we gain lucidity in what we call our waking life. And when that happens, we have clarity. And what is clarity? Clarity is the ability for some of our filters to fall away. So while I'm experiencing this life experience through the filters of my thinking mind, which means I'm having my own experience, you're having your own experience, conscious expansion, human evolution, spiritual awakening is the falling away of those filters. And what are those filters? Our fears, our past, our history, our mind-made identity, our beliefs, our unquestioned beliefs. These are all filters through which we have our life experience, which means we're having our own individual life. So no one's really looking at the real reality unless some of those filters start to fall away. And we're able to do that in this life. And when we do that, we that's where clarity comes from. The falling away of so conscious expansion is not a getting of more information. It's a falling away of. I think I got a little bit off the topic of lucid dreaming, but uh, one thing led to the other, and so I think that was the catalyst uh, for me to understand that there's something much greater happening behind the scenes. And uh, I also remember as a kid thinking, you know, I have other things to do. I don't think I really want to be bothered with having to find out what's going on behind the scenes. But well, that am, that was uh, yeah that yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was that was excellent, and I I like what you said about having an epiphany and the filters falling away, because those also happened with me in the lucid dreams that I had. So I I really get where you're coming from on that, and interesting that you remember being that young, and not necessarily knowing how to hold that experience at a tender age, but being able to access that later on was really terrific. We need to take our first break of this hour. So why don't we do that? We have so many questions and we definitely want to get into, and and actually we kind of have already, into some of the substance of your book, Shift Happens, A Lay Person's Guide to Awakening. We're going to talk more about awakening on the other side of this break. Our guest this hour is Gina Charles. So stay with us. You're listening to Manson Mitchell on Alternative Talk, AM 1150.
preceding audio was via a Skype call. Hello, my name is Marie Manucheri. I'm an energy intuitive author and host of Where Energy and Medicine Meet. During the show, I answer callers' questions, intuitively, of course, and provide invaluable guidance. I also interview others who I believe are on the leading edge of thought. Tune in on Thursday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on 1150 a.m. in Seattle or live wherever you are at energyintuitive.com. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I want to be a bike that races around the country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest trail. I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny I up, porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be a... 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Susan Harmon, inviting you to join me every Friday, noon to 1 p.m. Pacific Time, for the Susan Harmon Hour. I'm always curious, and I enjoy discussing a wide array of interesting and provocative subjects with fascinating and erudite guests. If you're looking for grounded authenticity with a twist, you'll want to join us for a fast-moving and informative hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our conversation. First time visit with Gina Charles. She is the author of a couple of fine books on transformation, awakening to who you really are and then doing something about it. That's how I would describe it in a nutshell. Today we're focusing on the first of her books called Shift Happens, a layperson's guide to awakening. And Gina Charles is also the author of a book that I imagine we're going to get into in depth in a second interview there will be a part two i'm quite sure but we wanted you to be aware that there is a much more recently published book called fuel your life a four-point practice to spiritual awakening gina charles has had quite a life uh, the two or three in one in a manner of speaking and as a matter of fact in another place i found a, a, a snippet of biography here saying gina charles is an author and illustrator Teaching the, and in this phrase, this really bears some explanation. Teaching the metacognitive transformation of authentic living. That's worth repeating. The metacognitive transformation of authentic living. And there's a catchphrase that goes with, there is another way to have this human adventure. Gina Charles joins us on the phone. 
when we talk about metacognitive transformation of authentic living, it may be in your DNA by this time to say that it, it may be like uh, a second sight kind of intimacy you have with that sort of language. But for the rest of us, I'm not quite sure what it means to be metacognitive in my transformation. Could you give us some more insight? Sure, absolutely. Um, so metacognitive basically, as, as I'm sure you know, is just the programming recognizing itself. So metacognitive thing is when thought recognizes itself. And this is really not a state of being that we were taught is there, that we were taught we have, in my culture anyway. I mean, I'm sure there are other civilizations on the planet that uh, tripped over it and were happy to share it. Um, my, my generation or, or my era is, is not one of them. So metacognitive means just when the program recognizes itself. Now, when that happens, it changes your programming because now it's brought to the surface. We see it. We recognize it. And, when, when, and that's the falling away. This is the technical terminology of the falling away of the filters that we spoke of before the break. So it's almost a more scientific explanation of what we had already discussed. So the more we recognize our own thinking, the more that we develop the superpower of noticing thought, the more our life experience is going to change. I'll tell you what it reminds me of, Gina. And Gary and I were having a conversation a morning or two ago about jealousy. And when I was a young child... I was jealous of my parents' attention. I was the number one child. And, you know, how dare number two and three come along and, and take away the attention that I felt was mine when I was a young girl by myself for four years and had all the attention of my parents. So there was just like a certain program for jealousy that came into my world. I wanted all the attention. And then, uh, and that stays with you. The the programming that you have early in life stays with you to the point where you don't see it. And so, as an adult, and uh, you know, Gary is talking to um, young, beautiful women, that jealousy creeps back up again. And when you're talking about metacognitive and a program recognizing itself, now he and I have been together going on 17 years, but there was a point where I could, I, I could see that I was automatically jealous. And I had no idea where that came from because it was obvious that he was going home with me and that, um, you know, I was his gal, and yet I didn't want him f flirting and talking and being with pretty women. And that was a case of my recognizing my own programming about that to the point where I said, you know, well, that's not really serving me for me to get upset or angry, or ruin a, a, a day away, a night away, having fun, because all of a sudden I'm jealous. And I'm not jealous in the extreme, but I notice it popping up. And so recognizing that that had its roots in something much deeper, much younger, it was automatic programming, it was a default, I did take a look at it. And I said, you know, I wonder why I think that way. 
I wonder why that emotion comes up for me. And it did get resolved. There was a filter that was called, you know, I'm not getting enough attention. And when I saw that filter and the filter fell away, Gary can now talk to beautiful women with my not going crazy about it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the kind of thing that you're talking about when you don't, there is a point where if you are working on it or if you're lucky or if you're awake and aware to your own thoughts, you can question them and stop letting them run the programming. Now, have I got that right? Yes, absolutely. And to put a final point on it would be to say that when you do noticing, first let me say this, you know, sometimes people say, well, how do I get there from here? I, I have the four-point crack that I've used in my personal life. And sometimes people say, well, you don't know my schedule. I don't have time for you to hear anything else. It's the most heavy lifting your thinking mind is ever going to have to do to change your life experience, to heal, to find bliss, to remove your limitations to free yourself, is noticing. And there are a lot of minds out there that say, that's crazy talk. That's too simple. It's so simple it can't be true. It is true. That's the most heavy lifting your mind's going to ever have to do, is notice. So that's what you did. You noticed. Now, the mind used reasoning to go back and say, what are the reasons? What are the reasons? That helps you in that circumstance. It's not, it's, it's not necessary. It's not a prerequisite. But it happened to help you. Now, sometimes there are circumstances that are more deep-rooted than that, that might take a few more visits, and that's fine. But, but the dynamics, the modalities, the, the thing that you did is exactly what we're talking about here. When the mind recognizes, it, it, instead of believing jealousy, it sees it at an arm's length. Instead of having the experience of jealousy and believing the jealousy, and then you have pain and suffering from that. You were able to separate self from thought, which is the epiphany. That is awakening. That is conscious expansion. That is the other state of being that I point at when I say there's something much greater. We use reasoning because it's the only thing we've been taught, and in that we are limited within our own reasoning. But when we notice thought the way that you did, and we can hold it at arm's length. And we recognize that it's not anything real or tangible. It's a thought that is making me feel bad. It's not Gary. It's not the bombshell sitting next to him. It's the thought. Because if I had amnesia right now, or if I had a, a, you know, a momentary where, where, a, a forgetfulness where I forgot to remember that I was jealous, if the thought wasn't present, I wouldn't have that pain and suffering. It is totally possible for me to sit here and, and, and forget about the jealousy for a moment. I'm not experiencing it. So, in other words, so, so Byron Katie is a phenomenal spiritual teacher, and I'm going to use her story as an example. So you petrify the snake, and you're walking in the desert, and you look down, and bam, you see a snake, and you feel the fear starts rising. You start sweating. Your heart is pounding. All of a sudden, the the clouds move, the sun shifts, and you realize that's not a snake. That's that's not a snake at all. It's a rope. And then she says, "I invite you for the next thousand years to be as afraid of that rope as as you did when you thought it was a snake. When you are able to recognize the program, less metacognitive thought, and your mind says, "Wait a minute, this is jealousy. Let me pluck that out and hold it at arm's length and give it a look. 
yeah, I see where this came from, and I see that it's a thought. I don't need this. I'm going to discard it. Every time you do that, it kicks a dent in that programming to where the programming eventually doesn't fire anymore. So, yes, what you did is what we're talking about here. And then you're free from that erroneous program. It doesn't fire anymore. That's how I quit smoking. I smoked for a long time, and I so enjoyed it, or so I thought, that I felt I would never be able to quit. And had I not tweaked my programming, it would have never lasted because, um, what's it called, um, willpower is not my thing. I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of willpower. Um, and yet I haven't smoked in over a decade. And the kicker to, to, to me is if someone told me this, I would be a little leery. But the truth is not once have I ever craved a cigarette because when you scratch out the programming, it falls away. Now you're free. So it's not the bombshell. It's not Gary. It's not. It's the thought. And when you saw that at arm's length, it changed your life experience. So, yeah, that's exactly it. I like the way you talk about separating the self from thought because one of my beliefs that I've had for decades is that our our thoughts have a purpose. It's, you know, for survival, but most of the time I I think our our thinking is working against us, not for us. There is so much negative default thinking that we all carry around, the the baggage that we all carry with us. We are not free in our thinking or our choosing because we have all of the thinking that's gone on up to this moment that decides things for us. So I've I've been against thoughts. I've been against thinking. And in your book, you you talk about um, checking in with your emotions. So we, we just have a few minutes to the break, but I wanted you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it works in tandem. So as we well know, we have a thought and the physiological reaction is a feeling or an emotion. Um, your adrenaline goes up. It affects your, your heart rate. I mean, these are facts. Um, and so it works in tandem. So you can work with your programming and all of that, but if there are emotions that you didn't process somewhere in your life, and I think that's true for most of us because we weren't taught that. We weren't taught that. That that you could run in place until you bleed from the ears and you might not see any change in your life. And it might be because that there's emotion that didn't get acknowledged. What does emotion want? It's a messenger. It's just a tap on the shoulder. When we acknowledge it, we allow it to rise, peak in a wordless state, it turns into personal rocket fuel. And that is one of the four practices of fuel, F-U-E-L, which is talk about later uh, or another time but that is a very important part of this puzzle of the human adventure is the emotion that goes along with it absolutely and it just wants to be recognized once and needs to be recognized the way i look at it gina because a long time ago i heard a minister say during one of her talks and it always stuck with me because here i am over a decade later remembering it in this context that whatever is unacknowledged within you becomes like a computer program running in the background of which you are continuously unaware, but that doesn't mean that you are not at the effect of whatever program is indeed running. 
just because you don't acknowledge it or don't want to see it, don't want to hear it, doesn't mean that it isn't fully operative in your life. I noticed that, too. I've noticed that exactly what you said is true. And sometimes we're running programs that we don't even know are there. We have hidden beliefs. Like, here's an example. If, if somewhere inside myself I have this belief that I have, hasn't come to the surface, I don't, didn't notice it because my mind's constantly talking and no one's watching it. I'm not, there's no pilot in the cockpit. It's just like a two-year-old being left alone in a room. It could be fine for a while, but after a while, something bad might happen. And that's what the thinking mind is. It, it, the more activity, the more you have a chance of uh, turbulence in your life because there's, it's being believed and had at the same time. So we're being had by thought. Um, but, if, for example, if I have this belief that I don't deserve an easy and effortless life and I'm out there scrounging and scratching for survival and to make my life better in so many ways like so, so many of us are doing, and I wonder why do I feel stuck? Why isn't anything changing? And the minute that I see a little tiny space in my life that becomes easy and effortless, thought is going to slide in sideways and sabotage it. Why? Because the hidden belief is going to do that. That's the part of the program. And when we don't see that program, that doesn't mean it's not going to fire. <laughs> it is going to fire. And that's why sometimes we feel like we're running in place. We feel dire straits. How I can't change this circumstance. And it's sometimes because we have unresolved emotions around it or there are beliefs that we didn't notice yet that are counterproductive to any of the things that we're trying to do in life. Well said, Gina Charles. Uh, so happy that you're joining us today. Gina Charles is the author of Shift Happens, A Layperson's Guide to Awakening and also Fuel Your Life, A Four-Point Practice to Spiritual Awakening. We're going to talk more about this after the break. So stay with us, and thank you for listening to Manson Mitchell on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. or streaming live from your computer anywhere. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, 
and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Gina Charles, whose book Shift Happens is a how-to guide to successfully navigating the inevitable ups and downs of your life. On Saturday, Barbara Sternig shares celebrity secrets of a National Enquirer reporter from her book by the same name. Bringing you fascinating talk since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com. That would get me out on the dance floor. Stereo MCs from, uh, I think, 1990. Well, good. And uh, so here we are. We're on the dance floor conversation with a lady whom it is our great pleasure to meet. And we look forward to talking to her again because she has many important things to say about self-awakening, self-empowerment, and all the implications thereof. She is author of Shift Happens, A Layperson's Guide to Awakening, as well as the more recently published Fuel Your Life, a four-point practice to spiritual awakening. Gina Charles joining us on the phone. Gina, at this point in our broadcast every Friday, we like to do the marketing piece uh, so that you, as our guest, have the opportunity to uh, say anything you want about how people can get up close and personal with you, getting your books, of course, but getting in touch in case you have a newsletter anything to which they can subscribe, any presence on YouTube, so the people really grok what you're about. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, anybody can connect with uh, me. On, I'm on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google, Pinterest. Um, I do have a blog on genitals.com. We do have a newsletter subscription. I also have another website called New World Living, which is all cool stuff for your inner journey. It's the part um, an authentic living lifestyle. Um, and I also offer exclusive positive and spiritual artwork, which is, which is my artwork as an illustrator uh, on apparel and accessories and, and, and all of that. But I'm really trying to put together an authentic living community uh, for people to come together. And that also has a blog and, um, and a newsletter. Uh, and I'm also doing a little bit of personal posting. And people can get in touch with me at genachalk.com on the contact page. Um, and thank you for that. I appreciate that. Gina, there is uh, one paragraph in this book that particularly caught my attention in Shift Happens, A Layperson's Guide to Awakening. And I just, I, I wanted to share it with our listeners because this is something I, I just really appreciated when I read it. So I will read this one paragraph. We all want a happy life in a better world. The most we can do as an individual is clean up 
our own backyard. Next page. Uh, the most any one person can do. We are the only ones who can do that for ourselves. There's no magic pill, and there was no one you can hire to do it for you. The good news is that when we each clean our own backyard, the automatic result is a better world. It's a byproduct. That is the only way to create a better world, one clean, happy backyard at a time, one empowering and freeing shift at a time. When we have peace in ourselves, we will see peace in the world. And I, I really liked that. It reminded me a little bit of a, a book years ago that I read called The Tipping Point. And that is, if every person it would just do the one thing that eventually with enough people doing that, you do reach a tipping point. And I bring that up because of what we perceive right now as a very contentious, divided country, a very contentious, divided world. And at the same time, we will talk to people like you that say, do what you can do, clean up your act, clean up your backyard, and you're doing, putting your attention on that positive thing is going to create that tipping point. It's going to create a, a nationwide and a worldwide shift. And I'm wondering if, if that is something that you agree with. Yeah, I mean, I notice it. It's more than just the thinking mind surmising, my thinking mind surmising or contemplating or using reasoning to collect enough reasons to formulate the belief that it's true. That's the way we, we live as humans, and that's the opposite way that I'm pointing at. When I say there's another way to have the human adventure, it is to see, not say. And it's when the, the thinking mind starts to see, instead of just collect the information, it's to know things viscerally. So uh, to answer your question, yes, uh, absolutely, I see it more than just say it, in that I notice that with the people, places, and things in my life, even relationships, and especially relationships, you can have specific uh, points. In other words, the climate of today, like you said, uh, there's, it, taking the climate of today, if I clean my own backyard, is it going to affect the climate? I think the focus is, instead of saying, this person here in the relationship, these are the reasons why I'm having trouble. This is what we have to, it's always external. What you just read out of that book, is the concept that I am the motherboard. I am the projector. So my life experience is a projection of my inner landscape. And that's the reason that if I fix my own backyard, my life experience is going to change. It, it's by default that when I look up into the world, the people, places, and things in my experience are now going to be different. And that's why. Because you're the projector of your life experience. You're the motherboard. You're, you're, either your programs are running you, or you're having a lucid experience where that you can affect the world around you. I mean, that also includes manifesting. I mean, we, we could have a, like 10 shows just talking about all this, all this great stuff. But yes, that's the most as an individual. People think, well, I could have an organization. I can make a sign. We could have peaceful pro protests. And yes, that's one way to do it. But this is a place of duality. 
And that's what I mean when I say there's another way to have the human adventure. We can get out there and roll up our sleeves and we could not stop until, until we're half dead. Or we can come back to the motherboard and tweak the programming and watch our life experience change before our eyes. And to put, put a further point or finish my point in regard uh, of relationships, uh, there's been turbulence in relationships that I have had. And when I had the clarity enough to come back to my motherboard, because there's a million things that reasoning says you could do. But when I came back to self and my, when I went into my own backyard and cleaned up, that person changed before my eyes. Now, I don't share this with you to say, hey, sex is a great way out to control other people. Because that's not what I mean by that. But that is what happens. It, they changed before my eyes. The relationship changed right under my nose, and I went along with it. So when we clean our own backyard, that's when the magic happens. There's no goal. In, there's no. This is not a goal-oriented, as you well know. It's a spiritual awakening, conscious expansion. There's no goals attached to it. I'm just pointing at what I've experienced with words, and I have noticed that when I go in my own backyard, I look up and my life changes before my eyes. That is when the universe rises to meet you. So that, who is it, Joseph Campbell, that says, you know, when you believe something or whatever, that the universe rises to meet you. Well, that's a beautiful, powerful saying, um, but there's a caveat that's not specified. When you're honoring your truth, when you're looking at yourself nose to nose in your own inner mirror, that's the caveat that's missing. That's when the universe rises to meet you. So when you're in your own backyard, that's when the universe is going to rise to meet you. Uh, and that's been my experience up until now. So absolutely, if we want to change anything in our lives, if we want to alleviate pain and suffering, if we want to eliminate our, our limitations, if, we're, if we are trying to have bliss, not mind-made happiness, but authentic happiness that rises independently from within and is not dependent on anything external. So that's faux happiness. And that's fine because that's one way to do it. There's another way to do it that's much better. And if we get used to rolling up our sleeves and going into our own backyard, we become limitless. You know, I, I know that it isn't goal-oriented from reading your book because in there, one of the things I could relate to is that you talk about do, 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 and to-do lists, and you're speaking right to me because I've always been a do person, and there's always a lot to do. Do, do, do. But you're saying in your book, that's really not what it's about, that you can get to where it is that you want to go without having to do more, just gain a new perspective about it and and look at, you know, the thoughts that have put that in place so that those filters can fall away and you are living a more blissful life. But it isn't about another another something to do because that's exhausting to just keep making that to-do list longer. Right. Well, that's the, one, that's the one way that we know how to get things done in our life experience thus far. And that's what I point out when I say there's another way. There's something much better. Um, and so, okay, so this is not about not working at all. Sometimes inspiration requires hard work. But the thing about that, when it does happen, and you do have a few to-dos on your list, 
but it's in your highest good as opposed to your mind having you run in circles. It is forwarding you in whatever purpose you're on, whether the mind realizes it or not. What is the difference between the mind having me make a longer to-do list the next day and run in circles and then doing something that's actually metaphysical, like that's really working on a grand level. That's supposed to be happening. That's necessary. The difference is it comes with inspiration. So while to other people the do might look like hard work, it doesn't feel like it. If it feels like yeah. it, I'm doing it wrong. Right. I'm being led by my unnoticed, unquestioned thinking that balled up a bunch of reasons and created the belief that I'm supposed to be doing this in the first place. And pain and suffering come sliding in sideways to tap me on the shoulder and say, oh, no, but sweetheart, that's a misunderstanding. That's not true at all. And that's what I'm here for, for pain and suffering to come in and give you a little kiss. You know, we're so fearful. Uh, this doesn't make me feel good. I don't understand why. I've got to figure it out. i got to make it better. And we force things. Instead of just saying, oh, the messenger of pain and suffering has come to smack me awake. I'm going to thank it, and I'm going to stop doing, and I'm going to listen. And for some reason, stopping doing this to ourselves is so hard. <laughs> Why is it so hard? Because we're used to it. It's a program. It runs. It's a belief. And when we have and believe thought without noticing it, we become the puppet. And unnoticed, unsupervised thought becomes the puppeteer. And if it is going to perpetuate mental activity, your puppeteer will screw you into the ground. You really need to look at what it is that you're thinking about. And, I love and, that. And so this was the the uh, the uh, pearl in the conversation that we were having today is noticing your thoughts and. We are definitely going to want to have you back again, and we're, sure. we're going to read the second book first so that we can uh, ask you the right questions and make the conversation the best we can. Well, but, I have a great takeaway from today, and that is, is that? given human fallibility, we're all going to make mistakes, but yes. despite our imperfections, if we make it a mantra, no unsupervised thought, this is living <laughs> out what it means to yeah. live the examined rather than the unexamined life. And thank you for reminding us of that, Gina Charles, because that has value forever. Well, that thank you. Thank you for that. And that that is a great takeaway. It's a tiny little, it's one of the four practices. So you can put this in your pocket and live your day, your daily life, and just practice this one thing for people that want to have a, a good takeaway that's going to make change in their lives. Practice every day being what you just said. I'm going to just encapsulate it. Be the eyewitness to thought. That's I it. love that. That, that could change your life in and of itself. Once again, the books of Gina Charles, Shift Happens, A Layperson's Guide to Awakening, and of late, Fuel Your Life a four-point practice to spiritual awakening. We will get into that four-point practice next time around. There will be a number two interview and, and encounter with Gina Charles. We've absolutely been delighted to meet you on air, Gina, and we're going to get ready to fuel your life and encourage everyone to do likewise when we do another interview soon. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. I had so much fun. Great. Uh, stay tuned. We have Christine Upchurch followed by Susan Harmon with her erudite guests. 
And in the meantime, plan to have a great weekend, everyone. Stay tuned to AM 1150 whenever possible. This is the home of Alternative Talk in Seattle. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.